Let's take our Bibles and turn to John, the 15th chapter, John chapter number 15. And we have spent a few weeks now already in the introductory verses of John 15. Uh, We have done that with an intention of uh, being able to fully understand and be able to grasp uh, what the Lord was trying to teach his disciples here. Uh, As we've mentioned to you over the last number of weeks, Uh, The phrase or the thought of abiding in Christ is often uh, misunderstood. Uh, Many times it's understood to be something that we do, something that we produce, and if God approves of it, then suddenly uh, we have done good works. Uh, We read from our confession of faith there on good works, chapter 16, uh, verse number 5, to declare what we believe and what the Bible teaches about our good works that a man could not do enough good works to be able to merit or to secure his own salvation. Now, again, all of us in of ourselves, uh, we believe that we have some value. We have merit in of ourselves. It's human nature uh, to look to yourself as some way of, of being sufficient. But we're going to see today, primarily when we get to verse number five, that Jesus himself makes a very declarative and a statement that is, it really puts an end to all thought regarding our own worthiness and our own works. Uh, Let's begin reading in verse number three and read down through verse number five. The Bible says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. The title of what we'll be looking at today is just simply Abide in Me. Abide in Me. Again, we are by nature, we understand that we're by nature depraved, Uh, we understand that we are sinners. And if we were honest with ourselves today, we would have to conclude we are fit for nothing but eternal damnation. We are fit for the fire. Uh, We are fit to be, as we read about this morning, to be nothing more than a goat, nothing more than that which is ungodly, that which is unrighteous. But yet we see that there is a relationship that is declared here that if you are in Christ, if you abide in him, this is a living union. It is a union with Christ. Uh, This is not some kind of a, just a, 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 a profession. You are actually in Christ. We've spoken over the last couple of weeks about the vine, how Jesus himself is the true vine. And we are the branches. That was the title last week. Ye are the branches. But in order for us to have life, there must be a union with Christ. And as we've learned, those united in Christ will produce fruit. It is not a if or a maybe. You will produce fruit. You will produce the fruits of the Spirit. We have been grafted into Christ. Even the Apostle Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. We've learned that as being part of the true vine, we are part of the true vine, why? By the Father's hand. It is by the Father's hand that we have been grafted into this body of Christ. Now, as is true even in nature, 
In order for a tree to produce or a plant to produce, it has to be pruned. It has to be purged. And when we abide in Christ, we are doing those things that lead to that pruning and that purging process. So let's talk about, first of all, to define what it means to abide in me. If I say to you, abide in me, we, we all have an idea of what that means. But to put it as simple as I thought I could put it for myself, it simply means to abide in him means we will draw life from the true vine and it will produce fruit. All right. To abide in him means we will draw life from the true vine, and it will produce fruit. While keeping in mind the same thought, a man cannot do anything, or a man can do nothing unless he abides in Christ. To not abide in Christ means there will be no fruit. But if you produce fruit, it's because you abide in him. That is a living union. Now, we understand that we see here in verse number three, Jesus makes reference and he uses terminology that refers us back to an earlier conversation he had with the disciples. In John, John 15, three, he says, now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now, we need to recall why, there, this, why this statement is significant. Because in John 13, 10, he said what appears to be the exact opposite. Here's what he said in, in John 13, 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. In John 13, 10 and 11, Jesus, as he, we are, he was uh, performing the washing of the disciples' feet, we recall that, he says, you are not all clean. One of you is not clean. Now we know who he's referring to. He was referring to Judas. And Judas at that moment and that point in time was still with him. He was still a part of the twelve. But now Jesus says in John 15, 3, now ye are clean. He's talking to those disciples now. Judas has been removed. He is not being included as part of the 12. Judas Iscariot was never part of the true vine. Judas was never a living branch of Christ. Judas was not a believer who turned from the faith. Judas was declared from the very foundation of the world that he would be the betrayer. He would be the one that would sell our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Don't ever let it be said that Judas was one who sat with Jesus, knew all the teachings, knew all the instruction, was one of his own, and then decided one day that he would sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was never, ever, ever a believer. There's no reason to even question whether or not Judas is in, was in the faith or not. Judas was not one of Christ. During the time Judas walked with the twelve, Judas would have, by outward appearances, would have appeared to have been one of Jesus' disciples. He was following him. He was walking with him. When, the, when they would move from place to place, people would have looked at Judas and said, Judas is one of his disciples. 
but yet he was not truly one of his. Judas was not producing fruit. Judas did not produce because he was not part of the living union with Christ. Now, what's that by way of application for us today? You can appear to have union with Christ and yet be nowhere near him. You've heard me say this, and we've said it probably more than you want to hear it. Just giving the appearance that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, just being in a church service today does not mean you have a union with Christ. It does not mean you love the Lord. It doesn't mean anything because what it is is a true living union with Christ will produce the fruits of the Spirit we've been learning about. But Jesus could now say to them, to those 11 that are left, ye are clean. Now, what he did not mean is he did not mean you are clean by your works. You are clean by the adherence to the law. You are clean by the ceremony. He was telling them you are clean because you are regenerated, sanctified, and justified believers. You are in Christ. The book of Titus, chapter number 3, verses 3 through 8, gives us a beautiful picture of what this means. Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. Titus 3, verses 3 through 8. We went through the book of Titus a, a, a while ago. But remember what's being written here. Titus 3, verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Let me stop for a moment. The flesh in us wants to say right here, that was never me. And I would tell you, yes, it was. That was all of us. We were all at one point, sometimes, notice the emphasis on the word sometimes foolish, Sometimes disobedient, sometimes deceived, sometimes serving diverse lusts, pleasures, living in malice. But then notice there was a wonderful change. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. It was not until the loving kindness of God appeared. But then he goes on, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We say praise God and amen to everything there, but notice it goes on. Verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. There's no mention of good works until after there's a regeneration. But what does he mean to say, be careful to maintain good works? In other words, folks, being united to Christ is not going to make you like a robot who just produces good works. You have a mandate and a command to be sure that you are performing those good works that are appropriate for a child of God. 
In other words, it's not just, hey, I got the fruits of the Spirit. I'll just sit back at the fruits of the Spirit do. No, you seek opportunity to demonstrate those fruits of the Spirit. To do good works. Not saving good works. Evidence that a good work has been done in you. I have been regenerated. I've been justified. And because I've been justified by his grace, be careful to maintain that which is fitting of a, of a true child of God. We understand that now Jesus was telling, back in our text, was telling these men, you are indeed true branches who are part of the true vine. You are part of me because you are in me. You are part of Christ. You are what you are by the grace of God. If you were to go around the room of those 11 disciples, they all would have professed they believed in God. They would have professed that they loved Christ and they would have said they were in Christ and they knew they would never be separated from him. If you were to, if you were to rewound the pages or turn the pages back and ask Judas the same questions, Judas would have said, sure, I believe in God. Sure, I love Christ. But yet he wasn't. Saying it doesn't make it so. You can say you love the Lord Jesus Christ today and it not be so. We're told in 1 Peter chapter number 1, verses 3 through 5. Let's turn there together. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Much like this morning, we'll be turning to uh, lots of Scripture today. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter writes in a similar fashion about the about what the, the believer is doing or what the believer um, is experiencing. It says in verse 3, 1 Peter 1, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, who having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing you rejoice with a joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And then if you'll just turn over to 2 Peter 1, I want you to see this similar now as a result of this. 2 Peter 1, verse 3, similar, similar portion in each one of these epistles. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind." 
and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. We are told to make our election sure. In other words, we don't sit and say, I'm in Christ, now I just coast. We are to give diligence to that which is in us. We are to make sure of our election, make sure we are living as people who are united with Christ. That's the idea here. When Jesus is telling his disciples about this, he is not just saying, now men, all you have to do is just kind of live your best life now and enjoy being one of mine. No, it's going to produce fruit. Those who are truly united to Christ will never be barren. They will never be unfruitful. Now remember, Jesus is going to teach us about levels of fruit bearing. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. There are different levels of fruit bearing, but there will always be fruit being produced. In John 15, he goes on in verse number four, and he says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except that abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Now it is true, we know this from Scripture, it is true that once a man is saved by the grace of God, he will remain saved forever. Yet isn't it interesting that to believers or professing believers, the Scripture is full of warnings to believers about things not to do. One of those things is we are warned in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15, we are warned against unbelief. Believers are being warned to not be unbelievers. Hebrews 13, let's turn there together and look. Hebrews 13, or Hebrews 3, rather, I'm sorry, verses 12 through 15. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15. Again, notice this is not being given to a lost world. This is not being given to people who are not in Christ. This is being given to believers. Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 15. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. This is being given to believers. There's a warning against unbelief. Also in Hebrews, there's a warning against drawing back or turning away. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 39. The Bible tells us, now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But then watch this. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Why in the world would the Lord give us instructions to people who are part of the brethren against unbelief, against drawing back. 
I think it's fair to say that within every professing group of people, there are people that need to be reminded and warned, are you truly in Christ? There's also in Colossians 1, there is an admonition to continue in the faith. To continue tells us that there might be a a propensity or a temptation to stop. Colossians 1, verse 21. Colossians 1, verse 21. Paul writing here to the church at Colossae. His great theme is Jesus Christ is the hope of glory. He says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. Wherefore, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Three passages. One warns us against unbelief. The second warns us against drawing back. And a third one is an admonition to continue in the faith. And let me give you one more. Back to Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 3. There is a warning against neglecting his word. Now, oftentimes we so easily want to put this into the world realm and say, here's what he's saying to the unbeliever. He's reminding those who claim or are to be in Christ. Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. And you stop there and think about that. If every word that's been spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression or every disobedience, if we received what we deserved. Verse three, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard them. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and the gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So by way of application, to abide in Christ means we abide in his word. John 15, 7 shows us that. And we'll learn about this in the coming weeks. But to abide in Christ is to abide in his word. Verse 7 of John 15, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. But John 15, 10 also teaches us that abiding in him is to abide in his love. Verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. But we're also reminded that we are to abide in His Spirit. In, the first, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 29, we see this abiding in the Spirit. 1 John 2, verse 24 through 29. If you can't turn there quickly enough, just follow, listen. 
Verse 24 of 1 John 2, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous... Ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. So abiding in Christ is not a condition which man fulfills by himself. In other words, man cannot fulfill these commandments until Christ gives him life. You cannot expect a person who is not in Christ to produce fruits of the Spirit. Now, some may argue and say, listen, I know non-believers who show great love. I know non-believers who show compassion and show certain things. That doesn't mean they're the result of the fruit of the Spirit. We understand that within man, there is a sense of morality. There is a sense in man that man, in some capacity, wants to do something good. Matter of fact, it's what motivates many people. Sometimes during the season that we're in now, the season, sometimes it appears to be that the non-believer is more generous, more giving, and it appears to be they are genuinely good people. But apart from Christ, you can do nothing. He doesn't say you cannot do an act of kindness. He doesn't even say that you can't demonstrate something, but he's saying that what is in requirement to be part of the vine of Jesus Christ, you can do nothing to be a part of that vine unless he gives it to you. Now again, in our humanity, we want to have a part of it. Abiding in Christ is a result of the gift of Christ and the fruits that are produced are the evidence that we have the life of Christ. In other words, the fruits are not intended so that man will look at us, but that man will look at Christ. They're evidences. They don't save us. They don't keep us. They're evidence of a living union. So, look, like, like he says in verse 4, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. That's not a, it might produce. It says it can't. If you remove a branch from its life source, it will not survive on its own. You can cut it off a tree, cut a living branch off of a tree today, and it will appear to have life. But if you let that branch sit there within a day or so, something will begin happening to those leaves. They will begin to wither. They will begin to die. And what it reveals is what has really happened. It's dead. Man can produce what appears to be life only to look at it a couple days later and find out it is withered and it's died. The appearance of life is not union with Christ. Abiding in him is to have real life. 
Man cannot bear fruit on his own. Man cannot produce anything on his own. Man cannot even possess spiritual knowledge on his own. And the only way man can produce anything acceptable to God is through Christ abiding in him. That's why Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Notice he doesn't just say, abide in me and you'll get it. No, he says, abide in me and I in you. I must be in you. You must be in me for for fruit to be produced. It's not a one-sided thing. It's like when we talk about salvation. You don't present the gospel as God has done his part. He's waiting on you to do your part. No, he does it all. We act as if God is waiting for us to move. God is not hindered or waiting on us in any way, shape, or form. He's not waiting on us to respond to him. He said, if you are in me, there will be evidence that you are in me and I'm in you. And it's this fruit that's being produced. That's what this is all about. So what should we do? We need to give heed to the word of God, to abide in me. Don't appear to just simply be in Christ and then depart from him. That's what Judas was. Judas appeared to be one of Christ, and he's gone. I've said this, and I say it again. Many people who we say are just simply in a backslidden condition because they flashed an appearance of Christ, honestly and truly were never in Christ. That's why they're gone. I'm not talking about membership roles on churches. I'm talking about faith. Now, I don't use verses out of context and say, listen, somebody moved their membership. They were never one of us. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about those who appeared to be in Christ, but they went out from us. They went out because they were never part of the body of Christ. That's what's happening here. And what we've learned, we're to give diligence to stir up the fruits of the Spirit, stir up the gifts of grace. It's not to sit back in our chairs and say, okay, God, produce something in me. We are to be diligent about Even though we're not producing the life-giving fruit, we are to be busy about stirring it up. It's not just, and it's not because God is dependent upon us. Listen, if you are in Christ, it is a privilege to be able to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. He says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, to abide suggests it stays there. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So we understand here what Jesus is telling them. And it leads us into a a repeat of what he's already said. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Nothing. Folks, listen. We have been saved by the grace of God alone. I hope you never get tired of hearing me say that. I'm afraid that sometimes we hear something so many times that We begin to even listen to the speaker's words or the preacher's words, and we say, I know what he's going to say because he says it all the time. That is a good thing if it's truth being repeated. Most all of us who have been parents or are parents understand the importance of repetition, correct? 
I have never met a child who got the truth with one explanation of it. I have never watched a child understand everything they're supposed to know just by being told one time. Every parent in this room knows exactly what raising a child is. It is continual. It is repetition over and over and over and over again until your child begins to repeat back to you, Mom, Dad, I know what you're going to say. It's the same way with the Word of God. You don't read something and say, listen, I've got it. I, now I'm going to leave church in just a few moments. I understand abiding in Him, He and me. I've got this down. Without Him, I, can, without him, I can't do anything. I got it. You haven't even scratched the surface. Just like when we say you are saved by the grace of God, you and I fully do not understand what that truly means. If we truly knew what grace is true to its form, what it really is, we would be found speechless. When you cannot find a single good thing in you to merit grace, you're just now beginning to understand and scratch the surface of how good God is. And you still are nowhere near the finish line. This grace that saved us, somehow we think that we can do things and we don't need that grace anymore. Yes, grace saved us, but now here's where I kick in. God's going to use my marvelous talent and my marvelous ability, and I'm going to do something great for God. You're not going to do anything for God unless he does it through you. The man who promotes himself as being the servant of God often is, can be marked as not understanding grace at all. We sing that song, my worth is not in what I own. It's not in anything I can produce. It's not in anything that I possess. But when you're in Christ, you do have a desire to be of a use and a service to God. Not because he needs you. Not even because he wants you to. But because it is in thanksgiving and response, listen, because he's produced this and put this in me, I want to do everything I can to live up to what he's done for me. That's stirring up the gift and the fruits of the Spirit. Listen, worship is not just when the music plays and the hymns are sung and we get an emotional response. Sometimes our emotions are mistaken for true worship. Worship is when you come to a full realization, a full understanding of what it is to have been saved by the grace of God and your response is you find yourself flat face down on the floor saying, oh, what an unworthy, wretched sinner that I am. I don't deserve any of this. And until we get to that place in our life, I don't think we fully even comprehend what it is to abide in him. To know that your only sense and source of life is because he has placed you in the true vine and has given you life. He didn't graft you in and then say, okay, now do stuff worthy of life. He is the life. We oftentimes, well, he's a source of life. No, he is life. He is not just, hey, plug into me. I see so many, so many watered down things that disturb me. Hey, plug into Christ. That's not biblical. You don't plug into Christ. 
You don't even, you didn't as a branch pick yourself off the ground and say, listen, I think I'll plug into the vine. He put you there. I'm afraid in our sense of not wanting to be offensive to people and want people's self-esteem to remain high, we just simply have presented a God of the Bible who is very far from that. Nowhere in the Bible does he say, look, hey, plug into me. Abiding in me is not you jumping in and saying, I'm going to be part of the vine. No, it's because he's placed you there. And yet, we see that this strong desire to serve the Lord, we want to do something for Christ. Folks, if you have no ambition to do anything to glorify God, it's pretty good evidence that there may not even be a union with Christ. So if you can just sit day after day and say, I have no desire to do anything for God, but I got fruits of the Spirit, you need to ask yourself the question, do you really? Because you're, not, you're producing nothing but deadness. I can watch a tree on a branch or a branch on a tree long enough and I can keep telling myself that thing's not dead. That thing's not dead. It's going to produce fruit. I've got a, I don't mean to get, get off on a tangent. I had a, I've got a, a bush I planted in the spring that I refused to accept that when I planted it, it's not alive. I did everything right. I followed the instructions how to plant this bush. And day after day, I'd go out and look at every single day, another leaf was gone, another leaf was gone. It's not dead, it's fine. I even thought maybe I need to prune it. I went out there with my own little pruning shears and I started pruning off some of the dead thinking, this is gonna bring this thing to life. Guess what? It still died. It was dead in the flower bed and I looked at it every day, it's not dead. It still has, it had no life in it. So then I started, I started doing the test. I started bending the branches. Then the branch started snapping. They were a little bit pliable. Now they're just snapping. Guess what? I came to the realization that bush is dead. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to produce anything on its own. No matter what I tried to do, I could not keep life in it. I gave it water, pruned it, and it did nothing. It still died. Folks, our works are much like that. We think the appearance of doing is all God wants. And in reality, what it is, I'm wanting to do it because God has given me the fruits of the Spirit and I'm wanting to be more like Christ. Apart from the Lord, we cannot even know what it means to be holy. We can't even know what it means to live righteously. If God left us to what we really wanted, we would walk in our flesh including you, every single day without any regard. You would serve every sinful pleasure of your flesh had it not been for the Lord. And when you walk around holy and pious and say, listen, I'm so much better than other churchgoers, you're demonstrating the depravity that's still there because you're basing a lot of it on just what you can see, what it has the appearance of life. There are people sitting in churches, prayerfully not this one, who have the appearance of being in Christ, but they're as dead as the bush in my backyard. They have no life because they're not truly joined to Christ. They're trusting in something else other than Christ. Even as our confession said, there's no good works that can merit to abide in Christ. But there will be a desire. Three very quick applications. Number one, Christ himself is the vine. He is the source of all life. 
Branches have no life, no power, and would not even be in existence unless he existed. Think about that for a minute. Europe would not even exist had it not been for his existence. Without him, we have done and we cannot do anything. You and I have never one time impressed God. God has never looked at you and said, I am impressed with you, young man. I'm impressed with you, young lady. I'm impressed with you, old man, old lady, whatever the case is. I'm impressed with how talented you are. Number two, believers are truly one with Christ. And that union with Christ is expressed by the production of fruit. When God looks upon the vineyard and he sees the vineyard, he considers not just the branches, but he considers the vine and the branches to be one. They are part of one body. You are the, I am the vine, you are the branches. One body. And then number three, those branches which truly abide in Christ will surely bring forth the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit in His presence brings forth the power to bring peace, to bring love, to bring righteousness, to bring those things which demonstrate that we are indeed a child of God. Sometimes we might ask ourselves the question, and even as the Apostle Paul said, and a lot of times I know this verse is used as a, it's used as a verse to go win a ball game. I'm, I'm a sports nut. I understand all this. I know, why, I know why people do it. I know what the thought behind it is. But when the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, the primary object there was not go win a sports game or even to do something grand. It's an acknowledgement that Paul was saying, no matter what I do in this life, no matter what I attempt to do, all of my righteousness is filthy rags. I cannot do anything had it not been for my true abiding in Christ. You can put Ephesians 4.13 4, on eye black underneath your eyes. You can write it on an armband. You can put it on a t-shirt. And you can and say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all things. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. But if you're not in Christ, you're not going to produce anything. Listen, it's a great rallying verse. But understand that it's, this is not in the context of just doing something powerful for ourselves. It is we cannot produce even the very fruit ourselves. So we can say with Paul in faith, I can do all things. I can produce the fruit that's a result of my unity with him. I can do those things because I have the power of the Holy Spirit. The branch is in the vine. The vine is in the branch. The very life that runs the sap in what we would call a tree that runs through the branch, that is what gives that branch life. It flows into every living branch on that tree. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. He's teaching us, if you are severed from me, you can do nothing. Not 
without me. He says, you are not abiding in me. There's nothing acceptable. So unless a man, unless a woman abides in Christ, they can produce and offer absolutely nothing. Praise the Lord that he has put us in his body. Praise the Lord that if you are in Christ today, you can say, listen, I and he is in me and I am in him. And I have a great promise that there will be fruit that's going to be produced. Let's finish with our benediction, our Valley of Vision reading. I'm going to turn to page 36. Let's go ahead and stand together if you would. This one appropriately, just like this morning. If you're not using and reading the Valley of Vision, I want to encourage you to get a copy of it. Um, We're reading it together as a church. And you're not going to find, other than the Word of God itself, you are not going to find many other things as helpful and as truthful. But this one's entitled Union with Christ. O Father, thou hast made man for the glory of thyself. And when not an instrument of that glory, he is a thing of naught. No sin is greater than the sin of unbelief. For if union with Christ is the greatest good, unbelief is the greatest sin, as being crossed to thy command. I see that whatever my sin is, yet no sin is like this union from Christ by unbelief. Lord, keep me from committing the greatest sin and departing from him. For I can never in this life perfectly obey and cleave to Christ. When thou takest away my outward blessing, it is for sin, in not acknowledging that all that I have is of thee, in not serving thee through what I have, in making myself secure and hardened. Lawful blessings are the secret idols and do the most hurt. The greatest injury is in the having, the greatest good in the taking away. In love, divest me of blessings that I may glorify thee the more. Remove the fuel of my sin, And may I prize the gain of a little holiness as overbalancing all my losses. The more I love thee with a truly gracious love, the more I desire to love thee. And the more miserable I am at the want of love, the more I hunger and thirst after thee, the more I faint and fail in finding thee, the more my heart is broken for sin, the more I pray it may be far more broken. My great evil is that I do not remember the sins of my youth, Nay, the sins of one day I forget the next. Keep me from all things that turn to unbelief or lack of felt union with Christ. Let's pray together. Father, as we bring this time of worship together to a close, may this not be the end. Lord, may it truly only be the beginning. Lord, we have been challenged and convicted from your word. Lord, we've been edified. We've been fed. Lord, some of these truths are easier to accept than others, and some, quite frankly, they are the mysteries that we have not been given full revelation to yet. But Lord, help us by faith to walk and to live in a manner that is pleasing unto you. May we desire uh, to live and give evidence that we are indeed united with Christ. Lord, thank you for the great promises that that if we abide in you, you abide in us. And it is a living union. And Lord, our heart is that we would live in obedience to you. Lord, may we never sin easily. May we never be able to take sin lightly. Lord, before we even open our mouths or have that thought, Lord, may you convict us and remind us of the awful cost of sin. That the Lord Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, went to a cross 
became sin for us, experienced the wages of sin, the full wrath of his father, wrath and wages that were due to us. Lord, may we never be able to take for granted the the saving of our soul. Lord, I truly thank you for each one that's been here today. Lord, we pray for those that are away from us. Lord, we're always, uh, we're always missing those that are away from us. And Lord, may you grant safety now as we go our separate ways. May we leave thinking on these things. And Lord, may you save souls. And Lord, may you continue to do a work in our midst. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name I pray and for his sake, amen.